Welcome, welcome. My next guest is someone very special to me because I've known her since she was born. It's my sister Katie. Uh, she is an incredible human being and is actually one of my best friends. She's not just my sister, she's one of my best friends. So Katie, would you like to tell us a little bit about you? My name is Katie Bichelle. Um I am a wife with four kids and I am an art student. Um, I do painting and sculptural art, just kind of a lot of different mediums. Um, right now I'm currently attending Enzyme College to do the interior design program. And um, yeah. She's an avid hiker and camper, yeah. natural healing. This is a woman of many, many talents. And she actually, I always tell people, whatever she touches turns to gold because her design skills are phenomenal. She has amazing taste. It's fun to watch her work too because she'll sit back and just be quiet and still and then just let her mind work. And then she'll like, oh, put this here, put this here. We joke about FaceTime design because I FaceTime her and she tells me how to design my house. <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, what's funny is that uh, we look quite a bit alike, but our personalities are quite different. Um, if you know me in real life, you know that I'm a spaz case and constantly moving and doing some kind of crazy dance video where Katie is calm and quieter and methodical. She's a deep thinker, very artistic, very creative. Um, but I, I pull out her crazy when I come to town, <laughs> but I think it works for us. I get a little it. wild and then you repent, right? It's totally fine. That's what repentance is for. <laughs> I think it works out. She's calm and I'm wild and we just are a good pair. Um, but so Katie has a unique marriage that she's going to tell us a little bit more about. Yeah, so um, Cody and I have been married for almost 13 years, coming up in August. And he is someone who struggles with addiction. So that has just been a... And a unique challenge for us with our marriage. Yeah, so we're going to dive more into her story with that because while I think that there is great strides being made in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about addiction recovery and that they do have a redaction, redaction. <laughs> I just made up a word. It's fine. Addiction recovery program that they do have like a support group for those who love someone with an addiction. Uh, I think we have a ways to go in how we support families who um, face addiction and who love someone who faces addiction. But um, I just think it'd be helpful for our listeners to know more about what it's like from the, uh, the spouse's perspective and um, the challenges that come with that and also the lessons that are learned and the, you know, the benefits of what you've you know, overcome um, and to understand more of what that world looks like. And... Um, yeah, so what do you think in your life prepared you for having this particular trial in your life that God's given you? I definitely did not predict this challenge in my life, that being married to an addict. But looking back on my past as far as preparing for this, I could probably just say that because I experimented with drugs at a young age, um, I kind of understood the appeal of of it and also saw the darkness that that leads that way so being more compassionate and understanding towards people who struggle with addiction 
Totally, for sure. And I have told people about KD before because I was like, yeah, my younger sister started doing drugs as a you know, young teenager. I mean, you were like 12. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, if you think about that in perspective, like, probably a lot of you have a 12-year-old or, like, you have an almost 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Her son's 11. And thinking, like, Zion going and doing drugs right now. I know. I it gives know. perspective to, like, why her parents are probably like, what? You know, freaking out. But, yeah, I think she's around 12 when she started. But then by the time she was done with high school, she was like, nah, I'm good. I'm out. And she did start, like, really um, researching other ways to to feel good in her body. Yeah, I decided, um, just because how sick it made me, I decided I want to go on a path of just health and wellness. And I went to massage therapy school and just found a lot of different alternatives to just health and wellness and, and how to feel good without a substance. Yeah, which I think is uh, amazing and also just very powerful to be able to recognize the light versus the dark and to know what it's like to live in the dark because when you know that, then you can choose the light over and over because you see the contrast. I think sometimes if you haven't really gotten a deep witness of Christ and you haven't really felt that joy that comes, then it can be a little bit trickier sometimes, I think, to keep choosing that over and over. But you've seen the contrast. You see what it's like. You also know how much better you feel, not just in not using a substance, but also in how you feel in like treating your body with so much respect that you feed it well, you move it, you take care of it. Um, you're powerful in like your manifestations and your affirmations and knowing that this is a gift, this body you have. And I think that's powerful too. Yeah, the word of wisdom is basically just a guideline for that. So following the word of wisdom with exactness and your understanding of it is um, going to help you just become a more healthier person. Right. And all the things we forget about. We get so hyper-focused on like tea or something when there's so many other nuggets in there of like going to bed early. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, and, like, moving your, like, t- just, there's so many other, like, amazing things that the Word of Wisdom gives us, and and I like what you said about to your understanding, because I think that we all get to also have our agency and figure out with Heavenly Father about what works for us, and if that includes something a little bit different, then, like, that's between you and Heavenly Father, and you, you have that conversation with Him, and it's not the rest of us to be policing how you live the Word of Wisdom. Yeah, I mean, it is going to be... I mean, it, everyone's going to have their different understanding in, of, you know, when you go in and read it, I think it's in D&C. Yeah. If you really break it's it down, it, it kind of feels like it can be like a, um, what's the word? Like a restriction. Oh, yeah. But to me, it's more of like, here is a plan that's going to help you be better. If you yeah, choose like not an to do those, an then, invitation to live your fullest health right so you can choose to not do those things but you're just not going to feel you know as healthy as you can and we're promised health we're promised marrow in our bones right strength strength all that stuff that um he has promised us we just have to to follow what he what he says so yeah totally for sure i think that's important too um so give us a little bit of perspective like give us a window like if we were to Come in and spy in your house <laughs> what it would be like to be married to an addict. I mean, not actually spy, but 
just give us an idea. Like a peeping Tom? Yeah, we're little peeping Toms <laughs> creeping up on your windowsill. Hello! But, you know, what what it might be like, because there are going to be people that are listening that there's no one in their immediate circle that struggles with that. So this might be one of their first opportunities to really understand what that's like and to give them perspective and some compassion, understanding for what it's like and, like, why you might stay. Because I think there's a lot of judgment around, like, why you might stay with an addict, you know? And um, just to have some compassion, understanding for what it's like for you and what you experience. Okay, well, I don't know where to start, but, I mean, I guess the the time that he first started struggling with addiction, he, because he works in construction, so it's it's common for them to um, kind of manage their pain with, with lifting heavy things. They, you know, usually start having pain. Um, it started a little when he it was just innocently trying to manage his pain, and it quickly spiraled into just a full-blown addiction. And um, I guess in the very beginning, it was still a secret. I mean, I knew something was wrong. Our marriage was not doing well. Um, I had suspicions because I have done it in the past, so I kind of knew what it looked like. And you knew what to look for. Yeah. Um, but they're very, very good at gaslighting you into making in you into, like, you're the crazy one. Like, you know, if you accuse them, then you're the the one with the problem, not them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's, there's a lot of, you know, emotional, you know, um, things that go with that. Um but once I, you know, had an official, like, he, he couldn't hide anymore. It was out in the open. Um, I think it, it did get a little better because then I knew what I was dealing with. Yeah. It's kind of like if you don't, the, the unknown and not knowing what the problem is was was really hard. It's probably almost worse because yeah. you don't even know how to move forward or, like, what to do or how to help or how to support yeah. if you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. I mean, we, we did try some counseling, and um, but he was just not there. He was just not too far gone. He was not – he's not willing to work on our marriage because he there wasn't really the, the root, you know. Our marriage was struggling because of something else. Right. And he wasn't ready to admit, admit to what that was, so – once I knew what we were up against, I, I'm a researcher. I love data. I love blogs. I love people's opinions. I mean, I will go and research and find things out for myself. I want to know everything about it. I research about addiction and um, just try to understand as much as I could and how, and how to do it. So um, I was pregnant with Betty when we Betty's found... Betty's number four. Yeah, so uh, uh, the fourth, <laughs> fourth and fourth final baby, baby. I mean, I actually was con- contemplating divorce seriously before, and then I found out I was pregnant with Betty. So it was kind of like, well, maybe I need to just figure some things out because being pregnant, you know, single, was not 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 appealing. Not appealing at the time. I thought that was not going to be to work. And um, so I and what the funny thing is is Betty's name. If you look up, like, name meanings, it actually means God's inspiration. Oh, really? Yeah. So that, that was kind of funny because she mm-hmm. kind of was the one that kind of kept us together for a shorter time. Yeah. Um, and that's when, you know, I kind of did find out what was going on. And, um, I mean, I was ready. I was ready to just figure it out. 
you know, at that point, I didn't want to divorce my thought, you know, this is just through sickness and health, we we have to figure this out. So we looked into rehabs, we looked into the whole the thing and, and tried to figure out what was the best route. Um, and I believe that's the time he went to his first rehab. I'm, I'm good at timelines. so I gotta, That's okay. So he, he did go to um, an outpatient rehab, and that was, I think, about a year. And it was really, really expensive. I mean, that that's a whole other story. We, yeah, we, we can we can go lots of soapboxes on on yeah the, the rehab and the, the accessibility. Yeah, it is frustrating with trying to get addicts help because they don't have money. Obviously, I mean they're right. They've blown it on drugs. They've blown it all. <laughs> um, oh, and I mean I kind of forgot to mention how how bad it was where. Before I found out what even was going on, I mean, he had um, pawned everything we've had. We lost our car to, he, he um, got a, ti- what, what's it called, the title loan. Oh, yeah. Lost the truck. Um, he wrecked our uh, van with our two kids in it because he was high. Um, yeah, in fact, tell us more about that because that was a big day. I mean, the car flipped how many times? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was definitely... Um, it, like, rolled a few times, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was not there, but the story goes, um, it was my father-in-law's birthday, and he was taking the kids and Cody out to go fishing. So it was kind of a far drive, and I even remember telling Cody that I was uncomfortable with him going, because... Um, I knew how sick he was, and I was always telling him how he was always falling asleep, that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I, Because um, I didn't know officially at this point, because he was a denying the addiction, so I was thinking, well, if, there, if it's not, then you have some, a serious, there, serious medical condition. Sickness of some kind, and there not in a, a judgmental way, but just in a, like, your health is not where it could be, and you just love and care about his health. Yeah. So I had gut feelings about this was not a good idea for him to take the kids, so... Um, and I was pregnant with Betty, so I couldn't go with them, and I was just really sick and nauseous and, um, just not, not well. So, and I also stayed home with Raylan. Raylan was a baby, so she couldn't yeah. go on the boat. And, um, I get a phone call from the EMT that just said, hey, your family's in an accident. Um, which, I mean, let's pause right there, because just those words, your family's been in an accident... Like, those are the last words anybody wants to hear, you know? Yeah, you, it's not when you expect. It's definitely a, a low blow, and yeah. you just don't know at what extent is this damage. Right. Um, she said, your husband is fine, um, but your kids, need, you know, especially your son, Zion, he needs some more evaluation. He, you know, he's not, you know. They can't, Zion, they Zion's can't really, her oldest. He can't, it can't really tell you anything without, you know, because they don't really know until they get to the hospital. So, right. um, so I mean, Cody can probably tell you his side of the, the story of that because it is such a, um, a spiritual experience for him in a way that um, it was just amazing how they were on some podunk road. There was no cars. It was just on this highway where there, you know, it was just Cody's car. And what happened was he fell asleep at the wheel. He actually took a nap 
with the kids in the car before because he knew he gets tired. Tired, yeah. And um, it didn't help because he woke up, started driving, and he hit a berm, and which floated the air in the air and rolled the van a couple times. And there was a bunch of, like, fishing gear and blankets and all kinds of stuff that was just, like, flying all over the car. And Zion got a bunch of bruises all over his face from the the items in the car, like, hitting him. And um, as soon as they stopped rolling, you know, Cody said he just couldn't hear the kids. And then all of a sudden he started hearing crying, and he was, like, just relieved of, like, the kids are okay. Yeah. he said he had to kick the windshield out to, to get out of the car. And as soon as he um, kicked the windshield out, there was two hands that just reached into the car. There was nobody on that road. So how could somebody just happen to be there? You know, it's, just, it's a miracle. So it just, you know, and, and the moronic thing too is they happen to be EMTs. So they laid out the um, the sleeping bags and stuff and laid all the kids out and laid everybody out and checked everybody out. They, you know, we, they called the, the ambulance and um, they wanted to live flight Zion because of his shape. And they said, and, and Cody said, no, I'm not separating from my kids. I'm, I'm going with my kids. So they decided to um, just to go on the ambulance altogether. And... Um, when I got there, I can tell you, I was just mad. I wasn't crying. I was just, I was just angry at, you know, the situation. But as soon as I saw Cody and knew how guilty he felt, I just wanted to hug him. I just, I just felt just so relieved that everyone was, you know, I knew they were going to be okay. Um, Zion had just so many bruises sage was fine i mean she was laughing and giggling she was just like completely oblivious to what had gone on (laughs) sweet girl um and zion was such a good sport too but they had to go you know do a lot of testing and we just didn't really know but um he did experience some damage internally on his stomach from the seatbelt and apart from just his like um his face being banged up he was he was fine. I mean, they were like telling us we can go home, and I was like, "Are you sure?" Yeah, this is it's a very scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, I definitely could not sleep that night just watching him breathe. It was just a a scary thing. And then, but you'd think that after something so traumatic and so, um, you know, as far as Cody goes, you think, oh, he he must quit after that. I mean, if he risked his kids' lives, you think he would quit. And it's not that he's a bad person. It's that addiction is just so strong that it, just, it takes hold. And like I can attest to that, I've known Cody for a lot of years, and he honestly is one of my favorite people. And we're both getting emotional here about the story. And um, but I think that this is this is what needs to get talked about. It needs to get talked about that this is like emotional stuff, right? And like, um, and I do. I mean, Cody is one of my favorite humans, and. He has the most pure heart, and he is such an amazing person, and um, and I, I think that needs to be made clear in this episode, like, that we understand that, you know, and people understand from us that, like, we adore Cody, and that anything we might say about, like, what the addiction might do to people is not a reflection on how we feel about him, 
and it's not a reflection of like who we think of him as a person and like his worth as a human being. Um, just that this is what addiction does to people, to good, amazing people. Oh yeah. Know? The thing is, is, um, I mean, our sins are not who we are. No. You know, they're just, they're just bad decisions and bad choices. They're, you know, sinning is part of the earthly process. And so that doesn't mean that we're bad people. And it's also not our identity either. No. So. And then, and like you're saying, like you would think, you know, after this experience, like your kids could have died, you know, but it's not, has not, is no reflection on like how much he loves his children or like what a good dad he is. Cause he, I know he loves his kids fiercely and I know he's a good dad. It's just, again, when your mind gets so trapped in that, it's hard to see anything else. Well, I think that's a, a lot of times spouses or even parents of children, yeah. they just think if my spouse loved me, then they would quit. If they loved me enough and they didn't want to hurt me and they didn't, you know, they wouldn't want this life for us and our marriage, that they would just quit. But that's just not at all the truth. Right. But, it has nothing to do with their love for you. It has everything to do with the sickness. Yeah, they don't, love, not, they don't love themselves, and they're just struggling to find their place, and um, they just need just so much support. And I think one problem with addiction in general is that we don't know enough about it. I think that's why it's yeah. so prominent, and there's not enough treatment, and, and it's so expensive, and then it doesn't always work. And yeah, and there's so much, so much shame around it that it just... And um, I can't remember where I read this, but like it talked about, like, that lies and think they they thrive in secrecy and shame thrives in secrecy and well, then well yeah addiction thrives in secrecy is what I always say because um, the more open the addict is about like I'm struggling and I have a problem then first of all people can help and support them right and secondly they can take accountability for themselves and say I need right. to make changes and so right because living in denial you don't get anywhere and so if you can kind of start isn't it, isn't that the first step in the steps. Right. It's I mean, like admitting yeah. that you have a problem and that it's, you're, you know, yeah, you, you need help. Yeah, you yourself to a higher power and you say, you, you know, admit that you can't do this without, without Sure, help. but like that, that first step requires awareness and requires like some mindfulness yeah. around like some accountability. where your life is. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as being married to an addict, I, I guess it's just, there was emotions that I never even thought could exist. I mean, there was just some really deep... Um, I mean, they call it... Um, it's called a betrayal trauma, which I didn't understand until later, you know, when I did more research on what was going on with me because I want right. to know so much about Cody that I decided, you know... And then I was getting so sick and so, you know, developing anxiety disorders and sleep. I couldn't sleep, and I was just kind of trying to understand what I was going through, and betrayal trauma is a real serious thing where I mean when people lie to you so much right you get gaslighted over <clears throat> and over again yeah it's just it's not intentional abuse no but it's it is not. abuse it is I mean, you know and if we're looking at I mean not to come from like a victim mentality because I don't believe in victims but like just that um, and I shouldn't say I don't believe in it I just that we all have opportunity to overcome whatever it is we deal with you know so um not to I know that I, I hope that we can all not live in victimhood but just from a place of like that that does damage, right? It does damage a person when you get gaslighted over and over again and you're betrayed over and over again, you're lied to over and over again. It takes a toll. Yeah, and then, you know, forgiveness is another thing that, you know, you kind of have to learn in a hard way of... Um, not just forgiveness of, 
them and their decisions, but forgiveness of yourself or the way, you know, you handle situations or um, just, I mean, the thing is, is the, the, the act of addiction itself, I don't think is the, the biggest problem. It's all, it's like all the stuff that they do because of it. Like they, they lie, they'll steal money, they'll pawn stuff, they'll do criminal activity of any kind to sustain it. Right. And so that's where it can get really, really sticky. And also, I mean, everybody's going to be at a different level, not level, what's the word, just a different um, place with their addiction. So yeah. um, I think the, the stigma or whatever you want to call it, the, the stereotype of addiction is like the homeless people on the street. Like they just think, they think of an addict, they think of the, the dirty homeless person that's on the street, which they probably are. It's usually the road, you know, it's either that can That can be a path. Yeah. From addiction. I mean, there's also... There's homelessness, death, or jail. I mean, those are kind of the three outcomes of, of addiction. Or and, hopefully and recovery, the, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if you're not recovered, those... Addiction. Right. Recovery is recovery. Right. Like, in, in the addiction. Yes, that makes sense. And, um... <laughs> but the, the truth is, is people who struggle with addiction are your really society president. They're your neighbor. They're your... Right. I mean... Possibly your child's teacher. On the outside, you cannot tell anything because they can hide it really well. Yeah. They themselves may not know that they have a problem. Yeah, they might not be aware. Like, and They might still be in so deep in denial that they haven't admitted to themselves yet. Yeah. And so some people are functioning. They're high functioning. Some people are not at all. Like, Cody, did, he lost his job. He was, you know, I mean, he became so crippled and debilitated by the addiction that he couldn't work and... But some people can't. So there's there's just so much. Um, and the, the big old question is like, how come one person can take painkillers and just stop and why another person can't? And yeah. why some person can be high functioning with, you know, kind of just managing it, or at least they think they are. And then someone who's just, they, they go homeless, you know. So yeah. we don't understand why that happens yet. Um but the thing is, is they're all <coughs> equally <coughs> sorry struggling. They're all equally loved the same. It doesn't, you know. Um, but I think that, be, like, people are stereotyped if they admit they're an addict into that homeless. Right. Like the, the, there the is a, there's variance here in, like, there's a spectrum, I guess you could say, of where you're at with your addiction. And for sure. Um, Cody's told me stories so, and I have found that to be eye-opening about what it looks like to try to withdraw and, like, what those withdrawal symptoms look like. I mean, he's told me stories, so I think it'd be helpful for other people. I mean, it was eye-opening for me to understand what it looks like and to watch somebody, like, go try to try to withdraw, to try to recover. Like, he's attempted many times. Well, the funny thing about that is because, I mean, I guess it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Where they're so scared of withdrawal because it's so physically and emotionally, like, it is just painful. I mean, it's it's really, really bad. And it's, it's worse if you're at a higher dose of whatever substance you are on. Sure, trying to come back off of that. Um, but they're in withdrawal every three days. I mean, they, they, they if they can't find their substance, they're in withdrawal. And they're having those they're, symptoms. They're having these symptoms, like... Over and over and over. Over and over and over again. And that's why they're afraid of it. But it's, I, I mean... It's kind of 
to me, I'm kind of like, if you're just going to be, let's draw over and over again, why don't you just get off? But again, that's because the right they, the, their, their brain is deep, wired yeah. to, um, until you rewire your brain into a new neural pathway to, to find something else. Right. It's it's almost like Well, because our body, our brain wants to protect us from danger. So they, you know, that's perceived as danger, right? That's pain. So we're going to avoid that danger, supposedly, of um, having that pain, you know. And I mean, I just remember him talking about, like, when he would try to withdraw or whatever and, and like, try to quit, you know, and, like, try to withdraw. And, like, you would, like, hold him. And he was, you know, you're, like, rocking him as he's bawling and he's puking and he's, you know, shaking and... Just, you know, how heavy that would feel to, like, watch him go through that. And, like, no, you can't take it from him. Yeah, and that's where faith comes in into really um, trusting in the atonement. Because even though, yeah, watching anybody go through that kind of a pain and knowing there's nothing you can do but just kind of just sit there and be be, be in the hole with them. Um, I just have to have faith that the... Um, the atonement is going to do its job. I yeah. mean, he's doing the work for himself. If he's choosing to get better and he's doing all that he can, you just have to have faith that the atonement's going to do the other stuff that he is not able to do. Right. And so kind of to wrap up, like, just this portion of it, of, like, what it's like to live with Cody and to, you know, be his wife and um, kind of where he's at right now in his recovery. Well, right now he's been in a um, in recovery with no relapses for over a year. So Just amazing. Um, I mean, yeah, he's doing really well, and um, yes, good things are happening for us. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm in school, and um, we're because the addiction is not in our lives. Our marriage has gotten so much better. But that doesn't mean that we're not struggling in a lot of different ways. But that's sure. just going to come All from... your problems are solved now and, yeah. you know, happily ever after the end. <laughs> yeah. So there's um, definitely a lot of stuff that needs to be healed and trust earned back and right. You're all on, those your, your recovery will probably go on for a long time for both of you and your relationship. And um, But it has been great to see him kind of start to come back more and feel more like himself probably. And um, to see him... He actually got to ordain his oldest son. Oh yeah, yep. to the priesthood. Yep, yes. that was a beautiful yeah. moment to watch for him to be able to do that. Yep, he's doing great. Um, so, and with all of this, like with Katie's story, like her and I have talked a lot about marketing and different things, and we're both entrepreneurs. We both like, you know, want to do good in the world and utilize our talents that we have and. We've talked a lot about how with her interior design, not only is she a talented artist and talented designer, but she also just really wants to, you know, through her design and through her talents, be able to help people kind of come back to a slower pace of life and to develop, you know, connection in homes and to create and design your home in a way that feels good to you and that um, that, that home lifestyle is really important. And I think that's going to make her very powerful as she gets out in the world as her designing to also connect with <clears throat> that why she cares so much about people's homes and about how that's where family lives and that family is so important <clears throat> and that and I just think that's going to be really powerful for you as you get out and as a designer and in fact if you're looking for a designer and you're in Utah 
she is phenomenal. Um, I also don't want to talk about, um, through all of this, how it has strengthened your relationship with Christ. I guess anytime you go through some struggle, it doesn't matter what it is, um, just really d- depended on prayer and revelation and asking for comfort. Um, I've had kind of the most spiritual experiences of my life, and I wouldn't have had those without kind of the, the deep pain because I wouldn't have asked upon, you know, um, you know, comfort. And, and I mean, I've even seen, you know, comfort from angels, and I would not have had that experience without just going through this hard stuff, I guess. So it, I think it could have gone the other direction as well where you know it's just so difficult that it's kind of like how come I have to go through this and you know be a victim and just pity myself but I decided that Heavenly Father has my back and he understands what I'm going through so if there's anybody who does it's Jesus Christ I mean he suffered for me so he yeah, I, I literally know. I always say <clears throat> that it's customized comfort. Like, he knows exactly how to soccer each one of us because he's felt everything we felt. Mm-hmm. For sure. I love that. Um, and I, I appreciate you sharing your witness about that, that, like, that Christ can give us that exact um, comfort that we're needing. And um, is there anything you feel that members of the church could just, um, just an invitation to be more aware of, of, maybe around an addict or maybe those who are loving a person with an addict. Cause I think sometimes we have good intentions, but then we don't always um, know what to say or like, you know, we don't necessarily know how to invite the conversation. We're not maybe a little bit afraid or so what are some things, maybe some words of wisdom you could give to members of the church about how to, to talk with and share with people who are struggling with addiction. Um, I think the most common question that I get asked all the time is how Cody is with his recovery. And I think that's a great question because that helps us know that you're, you know, you're interested, you want to know more, you want to know how, you know, how he's doing. Um, But with that, it would be nice to be asked how we are doing as well, because our happiness and our spirituality does not determine where they're at in their recovery. So if right. I say he's doing well or if he's not doing well, that has nothing to do with how I'm doing. Right. It, it can be independent of that. Yeah. So in addition to, I mean, it would be nice to kind of, you know, be asked how we're doing as well. Yeah. But um, I just say don't be afraid to ask questions because um, if they're at church and they're wanting to to, to, to get better they're they're not going to be trying to hide their addiction anymore. They they are trying to maybe and, and and maybe they're not. We don't know, but that's the point. We don't know where they're at and so I think the invitation too is just to love everybody where they're at because we don't know what they're struggling with and um before we were recording, Katie and I were talking about just like the shame around it and that we can kind of reduce some of that shame by being lovingly curious and asking questions and asking how to support and and maybe showing up in service just like you would if someone had a child that died or like whatever tragedy that comes up in this world, like a divorce or, you know, a medical illness, like whatever comes up, there's just another hard thing and we don't need to 
shy away from it or be ashamed of it or not talk about it, we need to talk about it. Right, because, yeah, if there's a new baby born in the ward, you know, they ask people to sign up. If there's someone who is medically has a problem, you know, we sign up to to help them. And, you know, but I've never gotten an email that just says, hey, this person's struggling with addiction, their family's not doing well, they could use some groceries or, yeah. you know, I just, I wish that there was more normalizing of this person is struggling and let what can we do as a ward to come help them because yeah yeah there's you know no one brings you a casserole when your husband goes to rehab and I'm saying that because one of my good friends wrote a book with that title and I thought that was so perfect and I yeah. love that so much because it is the truth right and and again I don't think that I think people do have good intentions and I think most humans are wonderful human beings and that they um, they maybe have their own unexamined pain and maybe they have their own trauma and they just maybe sometimes aren't aware and they just don't know. And if you haven't experienced some of those things, sometimes you just don't know. And so that's why, again, I, I want to have this podcast to have this opportunity to share stories that maybe you wouldn't otherwise know, but so that in the future, if you do come across somebody in your ward and they, maybe they do get brave and talk about their addiction and how you can maybe have a little bit different perspective on it and, you know, and understand first and foremost that they're people. They're a person who struggles with addiction. Right. They're first a person. So, I mean, for the most part, whenever we've shared our story with, you know, in church or on social media or whatever, we've had really good responses and, and support and love. Like majority of people have been really amazing However, you do have to be careful with who you open up to because not everybody is that open and understanding. Sure. We've and had I that think, problem yeah. too. Well, and Brene Brown talks about like your marbles in a jar and like you, you give someone a marble of trust and like, you, you know, you don't give them all your marbles right away, you know, but just that if you do, if you're on the listening end and hearing about that to like, and if you have something come up inside of you to pause and be curious about what that's triggering in you and to kind of, if you can, try to refrain from judgment. We all, we all judge. We're all working on it. We all do judge. But I think those judgments are just, they're kind of a gift in a way to like, look at like, why am I feeling that way? Like, what is that reminding me of? Well, there's, yeah, there's always, we want to judge people based on, you know, how they make us feel. There's people that are just creeps and you don't want them babysitting your kids, you know? (laughs) Sure. But... Just just being an addict itself does not mean that they're one of those people that are going to put your kids in danger. Sure. If they, you know, we judge people based on um, discernment, of knowing, you know, safety for ourselves and our family. Sure. And I think the difference is that discernment is about, like, maybe deciding how to utilize your time and resources with a person or whatever, where judgment is, like, deciding that they're not, a, you know, worthwhile human being or whatever, you know, and um, that we can al- always discern we're supposed to discern, right? And to like make conscious choices about where our time and energies go and with who. Um, but just to, yeah, to have compassion and know that like one of the beautiful parts of your story about the car accident was that when you saw him, yeah, you were pissed. Like any mom would be, right? Like you put my kids in danger, mama bear's coming out, right? But when you saw him, you saw how guilty he felt and you had compassion for him and you saw him as a person and I think that speaks a lot to who you are and the kind of loving person that you are. And I know that. I've seen it most of my life. I mean, I survived six years without you. But <laughs> after that, you know, I've watched you your whole life and being this kind of loving person and 
that that is one of the gifts that God's given you to be able to, um, to see Cody as a person and to love and care about him. Um, does that mean that either one of you are perfect people? Heck no, right? You're learning and growing. And I think this is a beautiful part of your journey that now that there is more recovery in the addiction, that you also get to recover more as a couple and as a family and that you guys get to kind of get back to more of what you, makes your family happy and that there is, um, there's so much light ahead for you guys and I'm excited for that. Um, is there any other final words you want to share? I would just say if you find out someone is struggling with addiction in your ward, just do not walk on the other side of the hallway if you see them coming by. I mean, they're, you know, they're not bad people. No, so, we all need love. Yeah, they're just they're just someone else that is struggling and it, you know. Right, and I think the relatable piece too here is that we all numb out in some ways. Like whether it's shopping or it's Facebook or, you know, we all have these like buffering behaviors, right, that we like can check out. And, you know, as we all learn and grow, I hope we're all trying to be more aware of that, right, to like kind of reduce some of those behaviors. But we all numb out in some ways. And then the substance use is just an extreme form of numbing out. And it has heavier consequences than maybe like, I'm not saying there's no consequences for scrolling Facebook because, well, yeah, it, yeah. you know, when there's, you're... there's consequences for any choice we make, but like they might be a tit bit heavier if they're, yeah, you're not, uh, you know, pawning your TV to scroll, <laughs> to Facebook. scroll Facebook, right? I mean, are you possibly disconnecting from your family because you're so, you, you have your own kind of small addiction to your phone. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't want to have the hypocrisy of it where you're judging someone with addiction, but you're... Right. Like, just my point is that we all numb out in certain ways. We all have things we're kind of like, just kind of buffer in life or that we, you know, we don't want to feel things sometimes. And, you know, and culturally speaking, we don't want to feel a lot of stuff, right? And I think there's a bigger movement right now to to open up to those feelings and to heal and... But because we all kind of have a little bit of that in us, I think that can maybe give us a little more compassion for those who might use a bigger numbing tool, right? But yes, those consequences for that numbing are bigger, but like, can we find a piece of ourselves in that story of like, where do I kind of numb out, you know? And just just to open up more compassion for all of us because we're all struggling in different ways and none of us are on the like, perfectly righteous side of the street like we are all you know crossing paths and we're figuring things out and we're all repenting on a daily basis I hope because we are all messing up in different ways and my guess my point is that we all need the savior desperately my favorite picture is where Jesus is reaching down into the water do you know that one Mm -mm. he like you can see him like through the water I'll have to show you and for those of you listening if you've seen this one um, he's like reaching down into the water. So it's from the perspective of you're underwater and he's reaching down to save you. And that picture is on my wall and it's, um, been like my saving grace this past year to like always remember that Jesus is always there. He is always there to save us no matter what thing we're struggling with. And I think that the more that we get in tune with the savior and what his power can do for us, it also just opens up so much more compassion for everybody else. Because it just softens our heart and helps us know that whether it's an addict, whether it's, you know, whatever, we are all struggling and we all deserve love and we all um, are worthy of love. Having boundaries doesn't mean we don't love people. And I think that's important. So I appreciate 
Katie sharing her story today. Um, I hope that a piece of her story resonates with you, that you can relate to some of those feelings and um, can have more compassion for families who are facing this kind of struggle and to be kind to those who are in that place, whether it's someone in your ward, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your family. Um, you might have family members who are struggling with that. And um, thank you again for tuning in. If you want to hear more, I have a website, AnnieJoy.com. Also, my Instagram is HeyAnnieJoy. So shine on.